need somebody Help Not just anybody Help You know I need someone Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, as I'm sure you can tell from my accent. I've worked for many years in Canada and also with various colleagues in the U.S. Uh, currently, I'm retired from medical practice, but I'm still working in healthcare research and development. Now, I see family caregiving as one of the most important supports for healthcare right now and right across the world. That's because family caregivers are the people who provide care to family members suffering health challenges of all kinds. Family caregivers are the people who go on providing care when all the professional caregivers, like me, have gone home. The healthcare systems of many, many countries rely on the unpaid help of family caregivers. And here is where I confess something, if it isn't already ob- obvious. I'm an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show, Family Caregivers Unite. Our topic for today is security for family caregivers and their families. What we're going to talk about are unpleasant things like fraud, robbery, violence, and other forms of harm that result from crime involving people's private information. Information crime is growing rapidly. It's growing because clever criminals are able to exploit weaknesses in the defenses of the electronic systems that more and more our information world depends on. Information crime puts everyone at risk, including family caregivers and the family members they care for. Our two guests, who I'm going to introduce in a moment, are both specialists in information crime detection, protection, and prevention. They're going to explain the ways the bad guys operate. They'll talk about the things that have are of real interest to family caregivers, and they'll share with us their views on what's to be done by governments to improve help to family caregivers for protecting their families and the family members they are caring for. Our two guests are Michael Power and Tom Warren. Michael is a Toronto-based lawyer who specializes in privacy and information security issues. He's the author of the American Bar Association's bestseller called Sailing in Dangerous Waters, A Director's Guide to Data Governance. And he wrote the part on access to information and privacy in Halsbury's Laws of Canada. And I looked it up and found that this is the general reference to Canadian laws. He's a member of the Nova Scotia Barrister Society and the Law Society of Upper Canada. He serves as a member of the Senior Advisory Board of the magazine Security and Privacy of of an organization called the IEEE, which is the world's leading professional association for the advancement of technology. During his 25 years in law, he has been Vice President, Privacy and Security, at an Ontario government agency. He's been a partner with 
Gowling Lafleur Henderson, a major law firm in Canada. He's been a member also of the Federal Department of Justice, advising on trade and technology-related issues. Tom, Tom Warren is a former member of the Peel Regional Police Service, where he served in the Intelligence Bureau before his election to the Police Association. He comes from a family with a long line of police personnel, including his grandfather, his father, mother, and two older brothers. Tom's an IT network and internet security specialist. His work involves recovering electronic data that's got lost or stolen. He's what's called the computer forensic investigator, which means that he investigates computer things, bad things, from a legal perspective. He's trained and experienced in all levels of law enforcement in dealing with online crime. He was a pioneer in the development of information security best practices. Back in 1997, he founded the company Net Patrol, which is dedicated to information security and data forensics, and is now internationally networked from Canada, the US, Australia, and Europe. Welcome to the show, Michael and Tom. Thank you. Thank you, Gordon. You're welcome. Now, my first question is, please, starting with Michael, would you tell us more about the work you do as it relates to things of concern to family caregivers? Michael. Well, my practice principally, as, as you pointed out, is, is advising uh, individuals and organizations with respect to their um, roles, responsibilities, obligations under various data protection laws. Um, my clientele is um, a mix of public sector, private sector organizations, and um, I do do a lot of what I would characterize as international privacy work, where data flows cross borders and organizations want to know what they need to do in order to comply with uh, the relevant jurisdictions. Thanks. Tom, tell us more about the work you do, and particularly as it relates to things of concern to family caregivers. Sure, uh, Gordon. And unfortunately, I'm I'm I guess the guy that that's usually contacted um, as a as, as a result of something that's gone wrong. So if uh, if unfortunately someone within the family has has ripped somebody off, I would be the guy that they would call to come and put the clues together. Uh, forensically speaking, through computer data or like, if that's the nature in which it was done, uh, to produce such a brief for someone like Michael in court to proceed in potential action against the person who did the wrongdoing. Uh, the majority of my clients are corporate clients, uh, but I do work uh, in the domestic uh, field too, in family uh, courts as well. Uh, but the majority of my work is data forensic uh, work, whereas we recover the data that's going to be produced as evidence in court uh, for those who have done wrong, some, uh, who've done something wrong to somebody else. Let's just go to Michael. That sounds very much like criminal uh, falling under the heading of criminal law, those sort of things that, that Tom's been talking about. First of all, is that right? And secondly, is that an area in which you're engaged in any way? Um, yeah, in part it is, but you know, it, it depends upon the facts. You may have, for example, in a, 
you know, as Tom described, a domestic situation where um, there may be, um, you know, a dispute over the dis- distribution of assets uh, in an estate. Um, you know, there may be a falling out of, of, um, of siblings in that regard or, you know, situations where you have one family member stealing from another. Um, in those uh, domestic situations, uh, sometimes there may be just simply uh, a civil action to recover the, the monies. Nobody really wants to involve the police. But, uh, you know, in a large majority of the cases, you'll find, especially involving um, caregivers, you'll find that it's uh, the activity in question is illicit or illegal in nature, um, you know, identity theft being probably the most common for individuals. Right. Tom, from your experience in the police, can you give us a typical story that fits with what Michael has just been saying? Uh, oh, for sure. Uh, especially as it relates to a family, it can be as simple as, uh, you know, uh, someone close to the family or even another family member, uh, you know, taking credit card information or, or getting uh, more credit card uh, credit card numbers or whatever under the name or, or under someone in the family's name and that kind of thing as, uh, as I'm thinking as it pertains to family. Uh, that's very common uh, fraud that takes place today is especially in an identity theft type of uh, situation. Uh, so effectively, I use the information that you've input on your computer or that you've thrown in the garbage, and I take that and I uh, impersonate you electronically and then start to, uh, to uh, you know, get things mailed to certain P.O. boxes and collect the credit cards, start charging them out against your name. And that is a very common, uh, unfortunate thing that happens today. Yeah, Gordon, I'd just like to um, uh, reiterate something that, uh, that Tom brought out, and I think it's a very good point. Um, you know, when we talk about the hazards um, facing um, individuals these days, a lot of people tend to focus on the electronic side, the technology. And Tom brought out a very good point when he talked about paper documents. And it's important to consider that it, it, the media... Um, on which personal information is stored is is irrelevant in a lot of ways. Um, just as people have to be compar- care- careful about their computers, they have to be careful about their uh, any kind of statements or documents that might have uh, useful personal information for somebody who wants to uh, perpetrate a fraud. For the family caregiver who might be looking after somebody, you know, with Alzheimer's disease or something like that, where memories have suffered and so on. Who takes care of that kind of situation, the protection against the careless use, shall we say, of paper information? Michael first? Well, I would just simply say it's whoever has been tasked with administering the affairs of that person. That could be a spouse, it could be a legal representative, it could be another family member. Right. Tom, have you had any dealings in a situation like this where somebody who's been tasked with looking after the, uh, shall we say, the financial affairs of somebody who's not too well, um, have, have things gone wrong in that way uh, that you can quickly describe? I've, I've had a, a case, something like that. It was more of a, a family business, and, and the uh, father wanted to to retire but wanted to be involved and and it got really mucky uh effectively uh he wasn't able to really run the business anymore it was a bit of a landscaping business 
And uh, so his sons were kind of taking over, but they took over in all the wrong ways. Uh, it wasn't done in a pleasant way. Um, and, and, and I guess it could have been avoided if the father had put in proper, I guess, uh, protection Tom, Tom, for I'm going for to interrupt, you, interrupt sure. you there because the break is looming up, and I want to come back to those things. So let's okay. just take the break and then come back. Time for, to, time for us to take the break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Michael Parr and Tom Warren. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America channel. Please stay with us. We will be back. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Michael Parr and Tom Warren. Our topic is security for family caregivers and their families. Now, we were talking just a moment ago with Tom about things going wrong in a family business. I interrupted you for the break. Tom, would you just like to finish that point off? Yeah, sure, and, and not a problem. Uh, so effectively, I, I would guess that, I mean, there were kind of safeguards, I'm guessing, through contracts or like Michael could probably comment better than I could on that, uh, that the father, I guess, could have put into place so that it wasn't such a, a huge takeover uh, and, and that kind of thing of his business. But again, these sons started pretending to be him in many senses and were using, you know, emails and so forth to make it look like they were making agreements where they shouldn't have been making agreements. So, I mean, it does exist. I have been involved in that kind of thing. And really to take someone in, uh, basically a lawyer, some sort of contractual guardian over the business separate than the person, or maybe both, Michael, you could comment better, I think would have helped a lot in this case. Well, it sounds like the example you're giving, there really wasn't an orderly transition of of, um, control from uh, the father to to the brothers. And, you know, if they were um, pretending to be the father, uh, or they didn't have authority, um, uh, even ostensible authority. In other words, they didn't have positions in the company or something like that, or they just simply said, yeah, we're making the deal on behalf of our dad. Um, Usually those kinds of agreements would be accepted 
um, because you know the the third party is relying on the ostensible authority of of the person making it and representing the company. But if the company or the father in that instance wants to repudiate it, uh, things get very messy. And really, what you want to do is you want to make sure that there uh, is a uh, an orderly transition where um, there is a transfer of control of the company. And uh, if there isn't a transfer of control, but you have um, the children starting to run the business, that uh, there's clear and effective communication of their roles to not only within the company, but also to third parties with whom the company has dealings. You know, what you've just been saying, and this is a sad thing to say, puts the children or the members of the family in the role of the bad guys, doesn't it? Now, I want to talk about more about the way the bad guys operate you know, in crime related to people's personal information. So let me ask you a sort of very broad question, Tom. How do criminals generally operate um, when they're doing bad things with people's personal information? And what actually do they need to be successful in their crimes? Okay, so uh, I'm going to kind of approach this on two avenues. Avenue one being tangible things that people can collect, i.e. your garbage, your recycling, that kind of thing. And, of course, the best defense for that is shred all your stuff before you throw it away. The second one is electronically speaking. Uh, again, people uh, infecting your computer to steal passwords, key loggers, that kind of thing. And one of the big ones that people never really think of is when they dispose of their computers. And usually it's get rid of the computer, just go buy your new one, and they forget to do very major things like wipe their hard drives clear of data so that they cannot be recovered. And then what all the bad guy needs at that point in time is a social security number, you know, a name, so forth, and, uh, and start to develop the profile of, uh, of the person that they're going to impersonate. Right. Michael, let's just stay with the electronic world for a moment. Um, talking about how the criminals operate, what do they do when they've got the information they seek? I, we've been talking about identity theft. Okay, they've stolen my identity. What are they actually going to do with it? Well, what they do is, uh, I mean, identity theft, you know, in a strict definition, is really the unauthorized collection and use of an individual's personal information, usually for criminal purposes. And so, as Tom pointed out, when you have key data elements like name, date of birth, address, um, social insurance number or social security number, or or basically any kind of key um, personal identification, uh, pieces of personal identification, what they can be, what what can happen is. uh, uh, those who, who fraudsters, for want of a better term, they can open credit cards, um, uh, bank accounts, they redirect mail, so they get bills. Uh, now, sometimes when you want to establish your identity, you'll often go into a place where they'll say, you know, bring three or four pieces of, of documentation, one of which is that a bill from, uh, you know, a hydro company, water company, things like that. Um, they rent vehicles, uh, accommodations, uh, you know, in some instances, they even get jobs. Uh, because what they want is they want to supplant. Uh, they need a fresh, clean identity. Um, they'll compose a resume, but uh, the key demographic data um, that somebody needs in order to do, say, a background check, uh, they would be using yours uh, if they wanted to steal your identity. Right. Sometime, this is also for Michael, sometime two, three years back, here in Canada and I think elsewhere, there was a big fuss 
about what came to be known as mortgage and title fraud. Michael, what's that and what's the story behind it and is it still a relevant concern? Um, Well, essentially what it would be is that um, people would pretend to be um, the owner of the property and they would uh, usually attempt to place a mortgage on the property. Um, and in doing so, usually this would be properties that have uh, either a line of credit or a mortgage. And, um, um, you know, they, they, they'd be, you know, usually seniors, so there'd be little debt on the property, so the banks wouldn't set off any warning flags. Usually it would be a new customer, but that would be fine. Um, they would go to a lawyer and they would, um, you know, deal with, the, you know, have the lawyer help them get the bank uh, to place a mortgage on the property. Sometimes it's with private investors, sometimes it's with financial institutions. And, um, and essentially they would, uh, you know, get a check and quickly cash it, quickly empty out the bank account and disappear. Um, it's uh, certainly in Canada, uh, it's, it still happens. Um, it's probably less visible and uh, less prevalent because uh, certainly the law societies, the bar associations, um, the legal insurance companies, the title insurance companies are making a very concerted effort to uh, educate lawyers about the kind of profile that these uh, operators use and to create uh, red flags for legal practices. And the banks have also been uh, increasingly sensitive to um, to this kind of, uh, of business. And one of the red flags is where somebody wants to do a deal rather quickly. So, you know, close to a long weekend, it's got to be done. You know, they're going out of town on vacation, you know, stories like that, whatever they can do to sort of try to shortcut the normal business checking uh, process uh, that, that usually uh, raises red flags and sort of puts a stop to these kinds of transactions. Right. So it's, it's there, but um, it's becoming, um, uh, people are more aware of it, so the opportunities are less. So, but it's still something we've got to be on our lookout for. Um, it would be, but, uh, yeah, I would say yes, but, uh, you know, I certainly, I think there's other types of, um, fraud that are perpetrated on people that would probably, um, uh, be more important. Tom, we're talking about the home. We read a lot about home invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, going back into your sort of police, uh, experience. What do you know about that? And in particular, what do you know about how the criminals operate and what they're actually looking for, what they need to be successful in their crimes, and fundamentally what it is that all families should be worried about in relation to these things? Sure, and and I know of home invasions uh, rather intimately as um, there was a very serious event that happened uh, on the police department I used to be on, where actually two police officers turned to, I guess, the dark side and began their own home invasion type of uh, of, of practice. And one guy I knew quite well, unfortunately. Uh, but for the most part, uh, you know, people 
have to think of layered security. So these guys, they're going to watch your home. They're going to watch your routines. They're going to know the best time to kind of come into your home. They're going to, you know, perhaps try to sell you something. And then once they're in, uh, it's a matter of overpowering. And, and then come out either ropes or handcuffs or like, and, 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 they, and then they like to usually kind of subdue the person they're going to invade upon. Now, people who keep money at the house, safes at the house, those kinds of things can very well end up uh, getting hurt because the people who are actually doing the invasion are going to want to uh, to get passwords, to get keys, etc., to get the goods out of the home. Right. So when I say layer security, it's not just an alarm system anymore. Maybe a camera system is a good thing to have. Maybe a panic button is a good thing to have. Those kinds of things. Right. We've been reading recently about somebody who's posing as your nephew, you know, you're an elderly person, and this is the long-lost nephew from somewhere who then comes and says, I need to borrow a little bit of money and that, or get an access to your bank account. Have you come across that kind of situation? What you, well, what, what you find is a lot of people will research you to the nth degree online, and with these different uh, ge- genealogy websites now where you can trace your family history, well, they can do the same if they get a bit of your information. So, you know, that that's, that's kind of how they develop this long-lost cousin or nephew or whatever kind of atmosphere, uh, and they'll know very intimate details about the family because of doing their history uh, check on your family. Would you say that seniors are the most likely targets for that kind of activity, or are there others who are equally at risk? I, I would think that, that that seniors would potentially be more of a target, uh, mostly because uh, you know it, it's a typical uh, you know the good old grandpa is going to help me out type of, atmos- type of atmosphere. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So so yes, I, I would think that, that that seniors are a target. I would think that uh, uh, and, and they're less likely to be in the know when it comes to technology or what's available on the internet and that type of thing. That being said, one of the largest, or one of the biggest increase on, on on users that are coming online are seniors. So hopefully that changes as time goes on as they learn more about the computers and that kind of thing. Right. We're running soon into the break, so the next next time after the break, we'll just get into that question about seniors using information technology and the questions of the risks that using something like email might bring. Um, So we're going into the break now. This is where we have to pay the rent. And this is Gordon Atherley, Dr. Gordon Atherley, um, and my two guests, Michael Power and Tom Warren. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. 
Are you looking for the next best thing? Of course you are. We all are. The next best thing is like your personal crystal ball on the radio, only it's much more accurate. We'll discuss medicine, healthcare, politics, the arts, matters of the heart, and spirit. In this confusing world, the next best thing will keep you ahead of the game. Where can you find the next best thing? Join your host, Linda C. Thompson, on the Voice America Variety Channel every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time for the next best thing. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at mymonami.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Care Givers Unite and our two guests, Michael Power and Tom Warren. Our topic is security for family caregivers and their families. We were talking before the break about seniors turning more and more to using uh, computers and emails and things like that. So let's talk about the risks uh, that email, for example, can bring to anybody, but also to seniors who are using, who are using it. Michael, would you like to begin with that? Sure. Um, well, Gordon, I, I think, for, you know, since the, the dawn of time, there's been uh, con artists around, um, and, you know, these people try to uh, convince victims to part with their money. Uh, through a variety of scams, and I think in the world of uh, the Internet and electronic commerce and email, um, what you're finding is that that activity is now migrating to the Internet. You know, before computers, uh, people fell victim to telemarketing scams, uh, you know, where they sent checks or gave credit card numbers uh, in response to some fake sales campaign. Um, it's the same concept. It's now just been automated a little bit, if you want. And, uh, you know, a large part of that really revolves around what I would characterize as social engineering, which is the practice of manipulating people in order to obtain confidential or personally sensitive information. Um, You know, some examples of that would be, you know, somebody sends you uh, an email, you know, directing you to a website which allegedly is your bank and they're asking you to verify your account and they ask you for your credit card number and your expiration date and a variety of information. And what you wind up doing is you're basically freely giving it to to the criminal element. Uh, Sometimes people get emails, and I'm sure this has happened to a lot of of your listeners. You know, somebody, you know, an email will drop in your mailbox Somebody, some some place, Nigeria, you know, wherever, um, you know, says uh, they, you know, they they need to move, um, you know, thousands or millions of dollars, and they need your help um, in moving the money from wherever that whatever country it's in to Canada or the United States, and so what they do is that they attempt to to draw you into uh, an elaborate con game where you provide some money 
Right. Tom, I just want to pursue that a little bit further. As you know, more and more people are being encouraged to stay at home, not to turn to the healthcare system uh, for long-term care and things like that. Um, now, what that means is that there are services coming to the person's home, and they're being provided by organizations that the person probably knows very little about, and by people who are complete strangers to the person receiving the care. Um, what sort of risk do you see there? That is, strangers introduced by email from strangers coming to your home. Are you, have you seen any problems with that? What kind of problems would you foresee? Um, from, from from a health standpoint, practitioning standpoint, I haven't at this point in time. Not to say that doesn't exist and that someone isn't getting off ripped ripped, ripped off right now. I mean, it's very possible. Um, so it's it's I haven't personally dealt with a healthcare professional in that aspect as of yet, but I can tell you absolutely I see some risks there. Uh, you know, and at the end of the day, we want to make sure we know these people besides just an email. You want background checked on this person, and as much as this person, if they are from an accredited location, um, um, as much as they're from that location, you still want to know more about this person. So if the email to begin with was a scam, and, and that can happen as well, um, so if, if one of your listeners was looking for, let's say, physiotherapy or occupational therapy, and lo and behold, all of a sudden something ended up in their inbox from that type of therapist, well, you have to be very suspicious because, number one, how do they know you're looking? Uh, and number two, uh, do not reply to that email because once you do reply to that email, now they know they've hit someone that's live on the Internet. So it's important not to respond to these these unsolicited emails like come into your email box. Number one rule, if you don't know them, don't accept the mail. Uh, and, 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 and that kind of sums it up for anything when it comes to to anything to do with online um, uh, transactions or anything else. Now, even if you know these, this practitioner is from whatever hospital, whatever rehab center, whatever it might be, whatever service, it doesn't mean you still can't get a background check or more information on this person, regardless whether you're in Canada or the U.S. Um, because at the end of the day, this person's still coming into your home, and you have a right to know all, all you can about this person. So I, w I would stress with people, if you're alone and if you're needing outside care and this person is coming into your home, don't be shy to speak up. Don't be shy to interview this person yourself or get a family member you trust to interview this person. And if it's just not feeling right, deny access. Ask for somebody else. Very fair. Yeah, I would agree, Gordon. I think, uh, you know, if somebody, if somebody shows up unexpectedly, then um, uh, at a minimum, um, you should be calling or a person should be calling the organization that sent them to verify it. And don't just take the telephone number that the person gives. Make sure that you have independently the number to call the organization that's providing you the services and sent this caregiver. Very good. Very clear. Now, I'm just going to turn back to something that you mentioned, <clears throat> excuse me, um, using technology to, to protect us, things like alarm systems um, and other forms of protection um, that technology might be able to provide. What do you think about these? And Michael, first of all, what about technology to protect us? Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, you know, my reaction is, you know, technology is a tool, and it depends uh, whether or not you're competent and comfortable uh, and confident, I should say, to um, to use the technology to the purpose for which it's been provided. So, I mean, um, certainly when you do online banking, banks provide, um, you know, encryption capability, so there is some trust in that. It's when you get the, the thing that, uh, it's when somebody initiates contact with you and uh, uh, asks you to click on a link or um, go to a particular website, uh, that's when problems can start to arise. So technology is an enabler, uh, but technology, there's no magic in it in and of itself, and you have to understand its um, uses and its limitations. And there might be bad guys at the other end of it. Yes, especially if it's unsolicited. Right. Now, I want to talk about, Tom, we talk about technology with Tom, where technology is being used for things like alarm systems and warning systems that something isn't right in the home. What, what do you think of those? What, what are the options? Um, and what, would you, what are the kind of things you might recommend to family caregivers? Uh, well, 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 definitely. What the number one thing, and I, and I totally agree with what Michael said. Like, technology can be utilized to help, but you have to be competent and, and comfortable enough to use it. And I, I still kind of form to the kiss type of uh, um, um, kind of theory and the keep it simple, stupid type of thing. Uh, you, you don't want to give. Uh, someone who's just got a computer for the first time, uh, a really elaborate alarm system that they have to figure out in order in case an emergency happens. That's why the, something as simple as a panic button works so well, because all you have to do is press a button. Um, the one thing you want to do, and, and, and don't get lazy with this, is you want to test this stuff, because there's batteries inside these things, uh, there's there's uh, signals, there's all these things that happen with this technology that unless you test it uh, when you need it, it may not work. So it's important to remember to test this technology, uh, whatever technology you're using in whatever circumstance. And if you're not knowledgeable enough to test it, before you purchase it or bring it into your home, make sure that you know somebody who is qualified they can test it or can audit it or make sure that everything is working. A little bit of proactiveness goes a long way in this, in, in this kind of area. Right. Yeah, I would just add that, you know, for, I mean, most people, whether they're seniors or not, uh, caregivers um, or seniors, uh, I mean, they use computers. So at a minimum, make sure your computer has a firewall, uh, it's got antivirus software, um, it's got an up-to-date uh, up browser and that, um, you know, you essentially um, apply security patches um, to, to the software that you get um, uh, on a regular basis. Often what you'll see is, um, you know, your computer will prompt you there's a new security update. Uh, generally, um, you know, you should, you should um, I say generally because there are exceptions, um, uh, generally, you should apply the the uh, updates um, to uh, secure the vulnerabilities in a computer. And you know, if you see, if you go to a website and you see, uh, um, you know, a suspicious, unfamiliar button or anything that's clickable on the page, don't click on it mm -hmm. uh, until you actually verify that they're authentic. 
because uh, when you click on one of these things, whether it's a link in an email or um, uh, a button on an unfamiliar website or a button on what appears to be a familiar website, what you wind up doing is downloading malicious code, and that's a surefire way to um, allow bad guys to uh, steal your personal information. Perfectly fair. Now, we're coming up to a break, so I'm going to give you both the same question, and it's just going to be a brief answer, please. All of this points to the need for, certainly for some family caregivers, for a place to go or persons to go to for help and advice when they're worried about any of the security risks you've been talking about. Tom, first, where do you direct people for help and advice? Um, there are a, a lot of websites for help out there. I, I always recommend, even within Net Patrol, there's a Cyberhood Watch within my company on, on my website, which is net-patrol.com. Uh, within the Cyberhood Watch community, if they join up, they always have like a big brother to, to soundboard off of. That is a huge help, and we have a lot of members already within that. Right. Michael, what did you do? Uh, uh, two things. One, uh, with respect to um, uh, technology um, and identity theft, for example, I would suggest that uh, in Canada uh, people visit the websites of the various offices of the privacy commissioners. Uh, in the United States, uh, it's a bit more fragmented, but a good starting point would probably be the Federal Trade Commission. Um, with respect to personal security, physical security, um, uh, you know, my, my general impression when somebody asks me this is, is to say, well, look, is there a neighborhood watch group or a neighborhood community group that it may not necessarily have a, have a you know, a, a neighborhood watch mandate, but generally, um, you know, building a network um, of um, associates, friends, acquaintances, whatever, within your own community is uh, a very useful way to enhance personal security. It's a kind of neighborhood watch, isn't it? Well, uh, you know, there's a line between, um, you know, having, uh, you know, friends and neighbors keep an eye on you and that being very intrusive. And, of course, you have to, you know, that line varies from person to person. But generally, yes, um, you know, like the, you know, there's, there's safety in numbers and uh, the closest group for that is generally in your neighborhood. Right. Now, we're coming up to the break time, so I'm going to announce the break. Um, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Michael Parr and Tom Warren. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please come back, because we've got a very in interesting question for the last one. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control, and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling, whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time, 
here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. This is um, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and our two guests, Michael Parr and Tom Warren. We're talking about security for family caregivers and their families. I'm going to ask our guests um, the same question, but a little bit of background first. I've heard people whose relatives have been robbed or defrauded, their elderly relatives, I've heard them say, describe the crime as despicable. And I'm sure that any family, all families who've been through that experience would feel that way. So what I want to put to our two guests is this. Supposing that you as individuals are appointed by the government, your government, to oversee the development of policies for enhancing the security of persons like elderly seniors who are being looked after by family caregivers. What things would you propose, and why would you propose them? Tom first. Uh, the, the first thing I would definitely propose would be an awareness program uh, to educate the individuals themselves so that they know exactly kind of trends and what to watch for and that type of thing. Uh, the, the second thing I, I would really like to see is that the fundamental security protocols, like Michael mentioned, your firewalls and that things, those types of things, are mandatory uh, to be in a computer computer operating system that basically are now for XP or above, um, but further than that, into your anti-malware and that kind of thing um, for seniors. So when they go in to buy uh, a new computer, per se, there's no reason why they couldn't already have within their image at no extra cost, because there's plenty out there that do a very good job at no cost, uh, antivirus, uh, anti-malware, those kinds of things. Those would be my first two, and then, and and then really, I'd like to see more of a potential monitoring type of program with vulnerable people like the handicapped or like the elderly that are just really kind of merging into this new technology because the scams get a little better every year. The, the new approaches are every year. Infections are happening at an alarming rate on everyone's computers, but most seniors don't know if they get infected what to do, which is basically unplug your computer network cable from the, mo- from the modem and just leave it off the Internet until it does get cleaned out. So those are the kind of things I would like to see at least uh, uh, to begin with. Okay. Michael, what, do you, what would you be proposing? Well, I was going to say everything that Tom just said. Um, that was a joke. Um, no, Tom's ideas are very good, and I, I would probably add to them by saying a, a couple of things. Um, with respect to technology, um, uh, a lot of identity theft isn't necessarily from the, I mean, there is a degree of social engineering that people have to be aware of and to guard against and to have some basic education about how they are, how they should react when um, 
somebody makes an inquiry for personal information from them. But also, a lot of personal information is held by other organizations, and one of the things that I would do is, is to probably try to create a, a you know, policy and legal environment to um, encourage better security. Um, you know, if there's a security breach and there's a, um, a lots of personal information, that could lead to identity theft through no fault of the caregiver or the senior concerned. And if that happens, I'd probably want to punish those companies um, very harshly. I'd like to encourage them, whether it's through um, positive incentives or uh, negative incentives, it uh, doesn't really matter to me, but what I'd like them to do is I'd like them to have better security. And I would agree with Tom, I think they need to build better security into their products. Um, you know, a lot of times software is sold and it's rushed out the door, and the last thing that people think about is building security into the software products. Now, that attitude is changing. It's slowly changing, but um, it is changing, but not fast enough for me. Um, I also think uh, on the technology front, uh, when people have problems on their home computers and, you know, it is infected, um, you know, it, it would be helpful to encourage some support groups or some dedicated organizations that to focus on this, to help seniors with their computers uh, to ensure that there's kinds of, uh, these kinds of problems are avo avoided. Um, on, the, on the personal security front, I think I would encourage... Um, uh, I, I put in place policy initiatives to encourage more neighborhood activity and more neighborhood support for seniors. That would probably be the kind of recommendations uh, I would put in place um, uh, if you asked me to. We have, you know, with respect to identity theft, the laws are on the books. They are enforced. It's tough to enforce them because it's often tough to get evidence and uh, these people tend to disappear very quickly. Um, but the laws are there, and to the extent that evidence can be collected, they, they are um, uh, used by law enforcement authorities. So I don't think it's necessarily putting in place laws or having tougher enforcement of the laws. It's, it's uh, you know, obviously it's, it's always difficult to, um, to reprioritize uh, law enforcement priorities. Um, but they're there. Uh, but I think a lot, of, a lot more um, education, uh, awareness, and uh, community support would probably uh, be much more effective than just simply relying on laws and law enforcement. Perfectly fair. Now, let's go to Tom. What about law enforcement? Let me ask you, uh, you know, would you want to see any policy changes about how the police regard the sorts of threats to seniors at home that we've been talking about, would you see any need for changes, or do you think things are being handled as well as they can be? Well, well, I, and I by no uh, ways or means uh, feel that I, I should speak for all police departments, but, uh, you know, the police are, are a very busy organization, you know, regardless, throughout North America and even, you know, Central and South America, police are very, very busy. Um, and while frauds, you know, are are, are a serious crime, uh, it's really tough to get police involved on a personal type of fraud. So, so yeah, absolutely, I love to see that they could respond to every call and, and this kind of thing, and, and be able to to investigate them fully. I, I just don't know if that's a tangible thing that's going to happen. 
uh, because you still have your murderers, your pedophiles, and everything. All those people walking the streets that people want something done about. So uh, I guess the short answer, Gordon, is absolutely I would love to see the police get more involved in these investigations and be able to handle more of them. I'm just not so sure they have the tools or the personnel to do that, unfortunately. And that's why, back to Michael's point and what I mentioned earlier, is important. Education and awareness will, if we can stop it before it happens, even better. You know what I mean? Sure, absolutely. Now that does bring us back to Michael's point about neighborhoods looking after themselves. That wasn't quite the way he said it, but that's the way I'm going to put it. Now, we, on this show, had various guests who are themselves family caregivers or who have have been family caregiving um, in a serious situation, which is no longer. Uh, What they all say is that, particularly if they're doing a job, if they've got employment, there really isn't any time left to do anything much apart from what they're currently doing, which means that efforts to educate them, warn them, and the rest of it are competing for their priorities. Now, I think afterwards, though, after what they say is that after their spell of family caregiving is over, then they do feel the need to kind of get together, to connect with each other, and to develop things that will support each other. So that's a very long-winded way of asking you, please say more from your own experience or your own beliefs, how family caregivers who do have the interest or do have the time in taking action, how they could connect with each other and work and support each other in the prevention of the things we're talking about. What do you think? Uh, Tom, you go. Uh, okay, I was wondering if it was for me. Uh, well, at the end of the day, Gordon, uh, people will be at different levels when it comes to technology, understanding it, and, and, and that type of thing. Um, ideally, uh, you know, getting involved with there's various groups online, uh, and, and you can research them. I mean, I, I tout Cyberhood Watch because it's my own brainchild, but there's other other similar, I guess, organizations like SOCUM, S-O-C-U-M.org, uh, that are there to help people uh, when it comes to uh, curbing really online crime in a whole. Uh, I would encourage people like that to get involved in those kinds of things because really no one person has all the answers. And by kind of uh, grouping it together and, and talking about it, looking for advice and so forth, a lot of the police departments, for example, have a lot of community awareness uh, uh, sessions and usually they, they promote them on their websites. Um, so if, if, we, if we really want to kind of band these kind of people together who want to know more, I'd say hop online and get active with, you know, companies uh, like myself or like your local police or, or, or those kinds of things or like SOCOM and, 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 and those kinds of organizations. Michael, what do you think? Uh, the only thing I would add would, would uh, be to, say, talk to um, the uh, local police, um, talk to local community groups, and to find out what programs and initiatives they have that um, individuals can plug into. Uh, but I think it's very much um, um, a network uh, is needed. Um, you know, like the, as they say, you know, the the uh, 
you know, the, uh, the, the strength of a chain is uh, only the strength of the weakest link. And by having a network, uh, what you can do is that you can strengthen everybody within that network. And I, I think the kinds of things that people have to do in order to um, get the, the personal and technology safety that they want um, and still take advantage of, of uh, living at home and then using uh, the Internet, then I think it's uh, to take advantage of appropriate support groups. Right, great. Now, we are coming up to um, the close, and I just want to say, first of all, to our listeners, um, our, that our guests have mentioned several sources of information, including ones that they provide themselves. Um, please email us, um, you'll hear it on the break, um, with any questions about that kind of support, and we'd be very glad to connect you, put you in touch, because I think the theme of this show is basically family caregivers being supported um, to take actions for themselves. And this kind of networking that we've been talking about, I think, is a very important part of it. Now, I want to say thank you very much, first of all, to our listeners. And I want to say thank you very much indeed to our guests, Michael Parr and Tom Warren. Um, they've shared with us what they really feel is important about some of the risks, what should be done. And they've pointed to things, you know, if we were to elect them, these are the things that they would have point, pointed to and then, we hope, carried through that would help family caregivers deal with something that is, is a threat. It, it's growing. It may not be um, always very serious at a particular time, but it, it's a, an animal with different coats. It's a chameleon in the way that it behaves, and you never really quite know what's coming. And that's why the information flow between those who know about information-related crime, those who've experienced it, and those who may be at risk is so important. So for those things, Michael and Tom, thank you very much. Now, our next episode is about family caregiver burnout. That's another challenge for family caregivers. So please join us, same time, same spot on the internet, and look forward to, um, to speaking with you. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being right.